Zigzag and One, a place where we honestly discuss how to embrace the zigs and the zags in our crazy lives. Running away is not an option. Living in defeat is not an option. Instead, learning how to keep moving forward is what we'll do together, one nugget of wisdom at a time. Your host is Melanie Brown. She's navigated a few zigs and zags in her life with the determination to never give up. Expect great stories and lots of laughs. Are you ready? Let's do it. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Zigzag in One podcast. I'm often asked, where do I find these incredible women that I interview for my website and for the podcast? And honestly, that's a great question. It comes from a variety of sources. I actually pursue some of them because I hear that they have an incredible story. Some of them are my friends. Some of them are friends of friends. And then some are whispered in my ear. And that's the one that we're going to talk about today. I had several people come and whisper in my ear about a lady named Megan that we went to church with. They said that I needed to hear her story. And it wasn't just one person. It was quite a few ladies. And I took their advice, and I reached out to Megan, and we did an interview together. And today you're going to hear that interview. And you'll see why all of those ladies felt it was so important that Megan share her story. So I give you... My conversation with Megan. One of the things I know for sure is people are watching when we face the zigzags in our journey. And no less than 10 women from church told me I needed to interview my guest, Megan, because they saw how she leaned on and trusted in God during a very difficult time in her life. And then they had front row seats to how God traded her ashes for beauty. So welcome, Megan. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you. So let's jump right in. Share with us about the first few years of your marriage. Okay, James and I were married in May of 2008. We were living in Douglasville where both of our families lived. We were renting a home. Uh, from a friend that had some rental properties and starting our life together. Um, I was planning to go to grad school to get my master's and become a professional counselor. And he was working full time with a construction company. And we were just um, pursuing, you know, the the early years of our marriage. We got pregnant pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, In September of that same year, we started planning for our first child. And things were wonderful. I actually had approached him once I got pregnant and told him that I really felt passionately about having a natural childbirth and I had this whole plan and these classes that we needed to take. And he jumped right in and went to the classes and was totally on board and supported me. And we had our first child a year after we were married. So May 23rd of the next year. Yes. And it was really quite a bonding experience for us. Um, He was really good at being, you know, a birthing coach. And he was really good at being a dad to Lily when she was first born. Right. Um, And so we were just starting our life. Like I said, um, he had a daughter from before we were married. Her name's Caitlin. And she was eight when we got married. So um, she was there with us on the weekends. And we just had that simple life. We had four dogs and... 
Um, shortly after I had Lily, I started nannying part-time, trying to think about what I was going to do because my plans for grad school were no longer there. I got a full-time job when she was about five months old, and we just kind of started trucking along and trying to make plans for our future. Um, pretty much... When I look back, you know, when you look back at things, you see them differently than when they were happening. When I look back, I see that it was not long after I got my full-time job that James started having some issues, as I'll start by calling them. Um, He started – he has some health issues, and they started to manifest themselves in different ways, one of which was just chronic pain. And he was seeking all sorts of advice for that and treatment for that. Shortly after that started popping up, um, he was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Wow. And being in construction and home renovation, mm-hmm. it was really it was really taking a toll on his body and his ability to show up um, in life in general. And so he started missing work and long story short, we were at a point where he had to look at a different line of work. He was like, long-term, this is not going to work for my body if I have these mm-hmm. health issues. So about that same time, um, we took a trip in the summer to Mexico, just the two of us with some other couple friends of ours. We had never taken a honeymoon. And so we took a trip together And honestly, on that trip was a big light bulb moment for me. Um, The trip was wonderful. We had an amazing time. It was so much fun. And we really got to disconnect from parenting. You know, Lily was only about, you know, 18 months old. Mm -hmm. And um, but the last the last day of the trip, um, there was a breakdown (laughs) and come to find out, basically he had run out of his medication. He was on a number of medications for his health issues. And it was the first time that I really saw, because we were in a place where he couldn't escape it, that when he didn't have the pills that were kind of keeping him going, he he could not function. And so the trip did not end well. And I went back with a lot of things to think about. But shortly after that trip, we found out that we were pregnant again. Okay. And so I was like, okay. So, you know, we're, we're kind of, this is a lot of years of this same cycle that I'm describing of, you know, something really kind of bad would happen and then it would kind of get better. And when you're in a relationship or you have anyone in your life who struggles with addiction, you, you know that, it is a cycle, and you're on that roller coaster with them. Yeah, it's not just about the individual. It affects everyone that they love and care about. Yes, and you you, you want to believe the best. You want to see that, okay, it's not that bad. Or, you know, you see them as the person that, they're, that they are when they're not enveloped by all of these symptoms that show up with addiction. And so we would have so many moments where it was just so good. And Mm -hmm. he loved me. He adored me. He worshiped the ground that I walked on. And he, James loved being a dad. He loved getting outside with his children and just being a dad. I mean, he loved it. And so we had so many beautiful moments. Um, But there was always the other end of the cycle, which was when he just couldn't function in life and it got worse. So the highs 
were got lower, but the lows got lower as well. Right. And at some point, you find yourself just wondering, what happened? Like, how how did we get here? And I definitely reached that point. Right. Um. At, when when Karina, our second child, was a baby, I told James. I really want to start going back to church. I had really started praying about our marriage and about James and everything that he was struggling with. And mm-hmm. I just felt very overwhelmed and like, God, this can't be what you have for me. And so, you know, the the topic was received well by James. He's like, okay, yeah, we can visit some churches. But it, it turned into the biggest battle in our marriage. What do you mean? Above everything else. Because... At some point, we found a church that when James visited, which is the church I go to now, he was like, I'll I'll come back here. And so I was like all in. I was like, okay, if we finally found a place where he visited and he said he would come back, then I'm going to go. Absolutely. And I'm going to just pray every Sunday that he goes with me. Mm -hmm. And um, he came back once, but that was it. And eventually the pressure of him seeing me every Sunday get up and take our children to church, and I guess whatever that was doing to him um, caused him to have his own spiritual awakening. And he came to me one day and said, I'm going to start going back to the meetings at the Kingdom Hall with my mom. Uh, James was raised Jehovah's Witness. His mom is Jehovah's Witness, and he was raised in a home where that was practiced. And given the freedom at whatever point to choose whether or not he was going to pursue that lifestyle as well. Mm-hmm. And at some point he chose not to, but he decided he wanted to go back to that. And this was the most crushing news to me of, of anything we'd experienced in our marriage so far. Because it's such a different faith, has such such different doctrines and beliefs. Yes. And, I mean, honestly, the conversation was— because he grew up in a home where his mom practiced Jehovah's Witness and his dad did not practice anything. Okay. So he saw it as, well, you do your thing and I'll do mine. And I said, you don't understand. I'm not somebody who just goes to church on Sundays. Like, mm-hmm. And I know maybe I misled you when we first became married because right. I wasn't walking with the Lord closely. But this is who I am. Like at my core, my faith is just it's my identity in Christ. And I can't I can't see us moving forward with with these two paths. How do you raise children together? How do you not confuse them with, well, daddy believes this and mom believes this. And it just right. it was so crushing to me. And I I was so just desperate in my prayers to God, like, how is this going to work? Like, I I can work through the addiction. I can hope that he'll get help. I can, you know, our financial situation was terrible at that point. And I was like, I you know, I can deal with that, but I can't deal with this. And I just really questioned God, like, mm-hmm. why is this happening? And how do I, how do I stand by through this? And at some point in the beginning phases of that, I was invited to a prayer group at a local church in Douglasville, not mm-hmm. the church that I went to, but a woman that I met had a very similar story with her husband having overcome some addiction and them having a real miracle story of the healing of their marriage really spoke to me. And I clung to that. And she said, come to this marriage prayer group that we have where we pray for marriages. And so I did. And for three years, I 
I faithfully on Mondays prayed for my marriage and believed with every ounce of my faith that God was going to mend our marriage, that he was somehow going to fix what had become so broken. And I searched for an answer from God that said, it's okay to to go. Like, you can give up. Mm -hmm. But I, I never got that message from God. He never spoke that over me. In fact, it was very much the opposite. Every time I was in the Word or in the church or, you know, in dialogue with the Lord, the message was, hold on, stay, stand for your marriage and trust in you know, the covenant that I brought you to that I will work a miracle. I just kept feeling like miracle, a miracle was going to be worked. I just couldn't give up hope on that. And I heard so many miracle stories during that time in my life that I just thought. Maybe. Yes, Maybe. That, 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 that God could. I learned not to question what God was capable of mm-hmm. and to just trust that he could do it. And so that was why I stayed. And I stayed, I learned how to honor my husband, even though he wasn't necessarily honoring me. It sounds like you surrendered to God's will, even though it didn't match your desires. Not that you wanted to get rid of or put away your marriage for just any reason, like you had mm-hmm. stuck with it for a long time, believing that it would get better. And it was surrendering to God and Him telling you, stay. Yes. And, and that's kind of the direction that you took. In fact, it was very much this, I've been trying to fix this and coming to the realization that I can't fix this. Like if anything's going to fix the brokenness of this marriage, God, it, it's only you. And so that prayer of the faithful wife of just believing that James would come to a place of surrender in his life by way of watching me live out my faith, not me pushing it on him or trying to fix him or fix us. And getting to that point where I just really said, okay, God, it's yours is is what I had to come to to have peace about what was going to be held in the future. Mm-hmm. So I know that you have three children. When you got pregnant with that, th- your third child, mm-hmm. what kind of changed? Well, when I got when I found out that I was pregnant with um, our third child was actually while James was at a mental health hospital. It was the first time that he had really sought help for mm-hmm. his all the issues that he had going on. And while he was there, I took a pregnancy test and found out that I was pregnant. And I I cannot explain to you the confusion and just the the overwhelming sense of loneliness that I felt when I found that out. I just did not understand. And I just wept. And I said, God, why would you give us this child? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. how is this how is this part of your plan? And I was very, very confused. And at some point, I remember distinctly, it was a Sunday that I was at church and the pastor gave us a say law moment at the end of the, of the talk. And he said, I really want you to just quiet your heart and your mind and just ask God to speak to you. I don't know what God has to speak to you right now, but ask for a word from him. And in that moment, I clearly heard God say, there's a calling on this child's life. And it was so clear that he said that. And at the time, I just thought, 
this child is going to fix this brokenness. Somehow mm. God's going to use this baby that it seems like such a, you know, bad timing or, right. you know, nothing that I would have ever chosen for us, but God chose it and he's going to use this to fix this mess. And that's a lot of pressure on an unborn baby. Yes, it is. But I believed that because I thought back on how pregnancy and babies and childbirth had been so bonding for James and I. And I just felt like this is going to be maybe what causes him to get it together and to say, I don't want to live like this. Like, I want to take care of myself and my issues and I want to heal and move forward. And I just believed that. I prayed that. I believed that. I prayed that over the child before he was even here. And um, so whenever Sawyer was born and he was a surprise boy, we thought he was going to be our our girl number four, including Caitlin. And here he was a boy at the last minute. So it was just so many positive emotions around that Mm -hmm. time of like so much hope. And then you think a beautiful, perfect baby comes into the picture and there's just all this, you know, just beauty. And I just felt so hopeful at that time. But within about a month of Sawyer being born, things already went back way downhill. Um, James was completely tapping out of life and he ended up getting fired from his job for the second time. And we had a, a conflict that ended in me just going to the Lord and hearing him tell me, you, you can give James to me. Like, wow. You, he basically released me from standing for the, for the marriage. I just felt God say, you can go. So did you file for divorce? Well, at the time I really wanted to give James one last chance to get some help for what mm-hmm. he was struggling with. And I believed because of the fact that we had these children that I wanted to do what was best for my kids. And I mm-hmm. thought, whether it's with me or without me, I want James to get the help he needs. Even if he doesn't do it for me or for the marriage, like I want him to get whole. And so I planned an intervention with his close friends, his sister, my brother, and presented to him like, we all want to help you get the help that you need. And it was not received well. Mm. He was still very much in denial of what was going on. Mm -hmm. He was very blaming of everyone else. And he was just in in addiction. He was just in the thick of his addiction. And I, the next day after that, I said, I'm, I'm gone. Mm -hmm. And I left with my two little girls and my newborn baby boy and moved in with my parents and I never moved back. So I know what comes next, but if you would share with us what happened two weeks before the divorce proceedings were to take place. Yeah. So I ended up filing for divorce a few months after I left, um, after James got into a car accident and totaled his car and I just saw things really getting scary for the safety of the children mm-hmm. and and for himself. And so I did file for divorce and it was a lengthy, grueling process. I felt a lot of conflict over sure. getting divorced and I re- really kept seeking God for like, okay, is this in fact what I'm supposed to be doing? Because it just felt, it did not feel right to me. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but, you know, God really gave me a piece about doing things for the children's best interest. And as long as I measured it against that and knew I was being obedient, I had peace. Um, and so um, a, f- a couple weeks before the final proceedings, I got a call late at night that James had fallen and hit his head. Um, there wasn't really a lot of clear information about what had happened, but then he was, you know, being rushed to Kinnestone and um, about an hour later, I received a call that I needed to get there, that, that James was not going to make it. Oh, goodness. Um, it all just happened like a movie, like you're watching mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. And when I look back, you know, it makes you understand a whole lot about why people act the way they do in grief because it takes a long time for the mind to wrap around the reality of tragedy. To catch up. Yes. And I remember getting to the hospital and the whole, you know, James's whole family was there. And I remember hugging my sister and saying, this, this happens to other people. This doesn't mm-hmm. happen to us. This, you know, you just think it's always a story you hear about, even in the work that I do and walking through tragedy with people every day and realizing the reality that it happens. But then yes. when it's happening to you, um, so you know, I walked through into ICU and within 24 hours I was saying goodbye to my husband and making decisions that nobody thinks they're going to have to make at the age of 32, mother of three children. I mean, Sawyer was a a year old, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I had spent seven years fighting for this marriage and it was gone like that. And I didn't have any answers and I didn't, I didn't even know what to pray other than God, you, you go before me in this. And so please just give me the strength to, to get through this, carry me through this because I knew I could not do it myself. And again, you're having to surrender to something that feels so completely overwhelming for a man that you love for so long and fought so hard for. Yes. And and then his life is taken away and leaves you a widow. Yes. And I mean, having to have a conversation with my girls. Sure. And explaining to them that they're never going to see their dad again. I mean, and I think the most beautiful thing was that in that moment where the enemy tells you like you're alone, that God immediately showed me that I was not alone. Right. Um, the way that people showed up in my life mm-hmm. and just spoke truth over me and showed me that I was not alone. And um, I struggle a lot with this part of the story because the, the, I want to be true and authentic, but also like honor the sacred space around death and loss. But it's, there's a lot of conflicting emotions. I mean, the complicated nature of grief for anyone, but you take me, 
I loved my husband. Of course, I was devoted to our marriage till the end, but things had gotten really ugly. Yes, they had. And I'm a widow because God was so faithful to give me that closure rather than a divorce and the you, that I felt so, you know, tumultuous about. But also I felt like I don't deserve this space because I didn't just lose the person that I was so happy and in love with mm-hmm. and had this beautiful life with. So I felt like I didn't fit anywhere in the grief space. I felt like, you know, if I tell people everything about my story, then they're going to, it's going to rob me of like this honor that's around what I've walked through. So I, I struggle with that now as in sure. this moment of telling kind of the story behind the story for so many people who know Megan lost her husband suddenly and was left a widow at 32. And this is where, you know, her life is now, but they don't know the story behind the story. Right. And part of me has really held on to that for fear that it would somehow negate what I've been through, which is ridiculous, right? That's the enemy talking. Right. It is. Because there is beauty that has occurred in your life as a result of the ashes that you have experienced. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that with us. Well, that's the most important part of this whole story is that I just remember resisting so much in the beginning and telling God, I didn't ask for this. This is not my story. And I literally said that to God. I remember just crying out to him and saying, this is not my story. This is not the story I wanted. I did not want this. This is not the miracle I prayed for. And I was so like, I believed in my heart. My faith was so solid, but my mind would would wrestle with the reality of what was right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And that's where the enemy tried to steal my joy and, you know, trip me up in my footing. But God was so faithful to remind me everywhere I turned that he is able and I have to submit to the reality and, and the understanding that God is so much bigger than me and my circumstances. Yes, he is. And, Quit trying to make sense of a broken world. Mm -hmm. And just if you think about it from the kingdom mindset, God has something bigger than even the miracle you asked for, Megan. And I just thought in the scripture, um, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, Blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. And I just had this moment when I read that scripture where God really spoke to me that maybe the greatest earthly good that God was going to do from this tragedy was not in my life, but in the life of someone else, in the life of others. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't about making sense of how God's going to redeem my story. How is he going to fix my brokenness, my pain, my suffering? But how is God going to use this for his glory? And what that meant to me is salvation of others. What that meant to me was the life-giving, you know, surrender of someone else. Mm -hmm. And I just, I call it the gift of grief. That's interesting. I wish so much that everyone that I knew could have the perspective that I have after being through what Mm -hmm. I've been through. But also, I 
I would never wish the pain that I've had on anyone else. So it's kind of like that. Let me tell you what I learned so that you don't have to learn it the way that I did. And that's why I'm here sharing my story because, you know, to, to know and to have that moment where you realize this life is not about me. That's very true. And to really say, this is not about my happiness. Like, God, I deserve to be happy. I'm a good person. I was a good wife and a good mom. Like, why did you bring this to me? But, you know, really flipping that script and saying, my life, if I'm a believer and if I follow the Lord, is not about me and my happiness. It's about bringing souls to the Lord. Mm -hmm. How can I use this? Now that everyone's watching, right? When you walk through something like that, that you can't hide and it's out there, Mm -hmm. everyone's watching. How, how is she going to do it? Like, how is she going to survive this? How is she going to overcome this? What, you know, how strong is she? Mm -hmm. And you realize if everyone's watching, I want them to be, I want them to see Christ. Absolutely. And And, I know that they did because those women came to me and said, you have to interview her. She has such a beautiful testimony about allowing God to work in an incredibly difficult circumstance. So tell us about Corey. So (laughs) my favorite part (laughs) is my wonderful husband that I have now. I met Corey, actually met him on Facebook. Um, which is kind of funny when we tell people that they're like, what? But it was totally a God thing. And um, I had not even entered the space of dating or even entertaining really the full idea of dating. But I just knew that at some point I had to get myself out there and get out of this mode of, you know, you're, you're by yourself, you're alone, you're single, you're raising these three kids, you're working full time. Like there's, you know, I barely even had space for my friends, much Mm -hmm. less, you know, a a relationship. And I was wrestling with the idea of how I was going to find someone. But once again, I had gotten to that place where I just, I really told God, I don't want anyone unless they're the person you have for me. I prayed for him to protect me from the pain of dating because mm-hmm. I know that it's painful to get out there and you risk getting hurt. And I just really said, God, I want you to be all over me so that anyone that sees me knows what they're getting. <laughs> and I think he really honored that because when Corey came into my life, you know, one of his first conversations was about how his mom's been praying for, you know, a good Christian woman to come his way. And mm-hmm. there were a lot of signs that showed me that. This was a safe thing for me to do, like that I could trust God, that he held my heart yes, and that he was going to bring someone to me that was good. And that was definitely Corey. I tried to scare him away many times in the beginning <laughs> with talks of, you know, faith and uh, finances and the reality of the children that I had and the pain that we were carrying in our story. And you sure you want to sign up for this? But um he he definitely um, showed me that God can bring you exactly who he has for you in his time and that when he's ready, he will do it. And for me, getting to that point of being okay with the fact that, okay, God, you're going to be all that we need until you bring me someone to do life with. You are going to provide. Yes. You are going to love and comfort. You are going to father these children in a way that I can't substitute and um, just really living that out 
just open the door for God to bring the right person to me to do life with and to step into that and to say that it was an honor rather than, you know, I, I used to joke with him. I'd say, some people have baggage. You know, I got a whole set of luggage, okay? <laughs> and um, so he he signed up for that because um, he felt God called him to that. He really said that this was um, the last thing that he thought he was going to do as being divorced for three years and having an adult child already. And he yes. was way past the kid phase. But he jumped in and had just has embraced these children as his own. Yes, he has because I see him at church. <laughs> and he, he d- definitely loves your kids. You can see it in the way that he interacts with them. It's beautiful. I, it's a beautiful picture to me of the way that God adopts us into his family as his children because you think— I remember saying nobody's ever going to love these kids like me. When you when your when your children lose their other parent, there's mm-hmm. just this idea of I'm the only person on this planet that loves you like this. Like the other person that loved you this way, they're gone. And so like to find someone who not only loves them but I feel like loves them in a way that only God could could provide is just such a beautiful picture of how much he can do when we give him faith and we really give him our lives and we tell him, like, I, I surrender to whatever you have for me. Yes. And I'm not going to try to do it my way or in my own strength, but I'm going to let you do it for me. Well, it's a beautiful story, and I hate to, like, wrap this up because you have so much more that I know you could share about grief, about blended families, But could you tell us what your one takeaway, if you wanted the listeners, after hearing your story, what would you want them to take away? The one takeaway from my journey through all of this loss and grief and pain was the realization that when we have troubling circumstances or hardships that come into our life, we tend to think that our abilities and our strength are going to be what determines whether or not we can get through it or Mm -hmm. how we get through it or Mm -hmm. what that picture looks like to other people. But what I learned was that it's the opposite. I used to be told so much, you're so strong. And I immediately jumped on every opportunity to say, I am not strong. God has carried me through this. And it's only because I completely surrendered these circumstances to him and said, God, everything that I've ever been through in life, I've been able to figure out. I've been able to pony up and push through, Mm -hmm. but I cannot do this without you. I cannot do this in my own strength. I can't do it on my own. I can't figure it out. I can't fix it. And there was so much beauty and freedom and being able to say, God, this is yours and daily to just lay it down and surrender and it. surrender that to God and say, these circumstances are nothing I would ever ask for. I still don't like them, but mm-hmm. I, I'm going to live this out today and I'm going to give it to you. You guide my steps. You give me the words to say. You give me the strength to get through the unimaginable because we really do. Our heads really can't wrap around the, the tragedy that we see around us. 
and in our own lives. It's like, how am I going to get through this? And the answer is you're, you're not going to get through it on your own. You exactly. have got to surrender it and not fight the circumstances. When I did in the beginning and I said, you know, I don't want this story. Like, this is not my story. That wasn't working for me. No. <laughs> but when I got to doesn't. a point where I said, God, you do have a miracle for me. I don't know what it is. But you do have a miracle for me. It might not have been to fix my marriage and to save my broken marriage, but you're going to do something even more beautiful. And I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. But once I really believed that and I gave it to God, he so honored that and gave me so much more. I mean, when I tell you to marry someone that already had, you know, a child and she loves me and she's accepted me as her stepmom. She's accepted my other stepdaughter, and they love each other. Right. Uh, just all of the things that God has provided and worked out that I know are because this is His will and not mine. Yes. And I didn't try to say, I'm going to figure this out. It's more beautiful and more magical of a story than I could have ever written for myself. It's a beautiful story. And thank you so much for sharing with us, Megan. Yeah, thank you so much thank for you. the honor of being here and really just being able to shed light on some things that are darkness and give some people some hope. But seeing God's light is beautiful. So thank you for joining us for this episode of Zigzagging One. Remember, when life zigzags, and it definitely will, surrendering it to God will help us to keep moving forward. 